0: Hi, I'm Stu Ostoff. For like 37 years now, I've been publishing Boundary Waters Journal. I showed up in the Boundary Waters in 75, working for an outfitter in college. Of course, that was the aluminum canoe era. And then Royal X came on not too long after that, early 80s. My first canoe was the original Ted Bell canoes, the predecessor of what we call North Star now. And he got me those in, must have been the late 90s. And I got two of what were 18 and a half at that time with wood trim, a red one and a green one. And I basically raised my family in those two canoes. And I I don't really baby my canoes, like I'm not a wet foot canoeist. Most people will wade in with a Kevlar canoe, but... I do fancy footwork in the rocks to keep my feet dry, but I, you know, there's a difference between abusing a Kevlar canoe and using it. That said, that I don't baby them, they still hold up, they're tough. I mean, they're tougher than you think. And I'm probably North Star's biggest fan. Um, Ted and I go way back. I just don't paddle anything else. I've paddled a lot of different canoe models in my day. and. It's the only thing in my barn right now.
1: This is the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast.
2: This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up. You swim through the lake, you have breakfast, and you can relax,
3: you can go paddling, you can go hiking.
2: We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before.
3: I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and It was really cool, it was my first time.
2: The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with with no packs, with with only a day pack, Uh, we take it in one day.
3: Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars I will set my sights by the northern star And in the deep dark blue come the northern lights Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights
1: Welcome to episode 93 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm Joe Fredericks.
2: And I'm Matthew Baxley.
1: Today, we're talking about Canada? Canada. We've talked about Quetico Provincial Park many, many times on the podcast. That's about as far as we've gone up into Ontario or other parts of Canada. We've dabbled into Wabakimi and Woodland caribou, but just as talking points. For
2: many people, the Boundary Waters is the destination. You know, it's the place that they get to go once a year or every so often. But for a whole bunch of other people, the Boundary Waters is just the beginning. You could even think of it as a training ground for progressing further north into deeper wilderness on even longer trips.
1: And that's what we're going to explore on this episode today. And in fact, let's just jump right into that journey of discovery.
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of goes back to just, you know, my 12-year-old self learning how to portage a canoe by myself. I think I just learned early on that I was a capable young woman and that I could... You know kind of do anything i put my put my mind to and was prepared to do did some research talked to folks that had you know done similar things and had some experiences that i could learn from um but yeah mostly just empowering me to to dream big and to love you know just spending time on the water and dipping your paddle in and listening to the call of the loon and this you know watching the stars at night like just appreciating how lucky we are to have their boundary waters and have this like amazing public lands, you know, pretty much from the boundary waters north to as as far as you could really imagine or dream, I think. Hi, my name is Maddie Cochran. I'm currently living in Missoula, Montana, but I grew up in Grand Marais, Minnesota.
5: My name is Corey Cochran. I use she, her pronouns. I grew up mostly on the North Shore in Grand Marais. I think for my parents, um, having three kids and working full time to get into the Boundary Waters. So a lot of day trips, just goofing around, um, paddling, some overnights, but not a lot. Um, And then, but there was a lot of comfort and familiarity even through that. Um, through, you know, shorter, shorter day trips and things.
2: Something cool about Maddie and Corey is that they shared the womb together. That's right, I said womb. And because of that, they participated in the same formative experiences of growing up in a Wilderness Edge community and traveling into the BWCA with their parents and brother. As they got older, however, their paths diverged.
5: And then my dad had the experience as a young person himself of going to Widgie Wagon, which is a YMCA camp um, based out of Ely off the Echo Trail. Because of that connection, an older cousin was a counselor at Widgee and had been a camper. And so I grew up hearing about these amazing trips that he got to go on and sort of um, envying that as a kid who grew up with connections to place and land in ways that made that feel exciting and enticing. So my siblings and I started going to Widgie pretty young, probably 12, 12 years old. And I totally drank the Kool-Aid. I loved and being out in the wilderness with a small group of people. So built into that YMCA Progression is, you know, longer trips and um, going sort of further away from northern Minnesota. That was kind of cool for me because it was a way to be a part of doing this thing that I also did with my family, but also developing some independence and autonomy around it.
2: While Corey was progressing as a paddler through camp experiences, Maddie took her own path. Following her own interests through high school, she eventually found her way back to the wilderness.
4: I would say my connection with the Boundary Waters sort of starts with my parents, but then does kind of through high school, past high school, I should say, when I was really busy with some other activities and then starts again in college when I kind of refound the Boundary Waters on my own as like a young adult. My first summer after my first year of college, I was lucky enough to volunteer on fortage crew for the Boundary Waters. So working with Kathy Quinn and a lot of other really awesome people digging latrines and cutting trees off portages with crosscut saws and talking to visitors that kind of thing it was really cool to like learn how other people canoe trip too you know you're kind of like born into canoeing <laughs> in some ways with my family but then it was it was fun to kind of be my own person and and learn how to do some of those everyday activities with a whole new like suite of people that also are super competent and amazing mentors in their own rights I went from this like widgy mindset of very purist, you know, like only water, bread and air can touch the, the hull of the canoe kind of thing to like a bit more of a practical canoeist, so to speak, where, you know, you have things you need to do that day. And sometimes you don't have the the leisure or the time to do everything like quite as pure, if that makes sense.
2: Though Maddie and Corey found their own unique paths to connecting with the Boundary Waters. Each were eventually drawn to the more remote regions north of the border. For Cory, the camp structure allowed for a paddling progression that culminated in what most of us would consider to be the trip of a lifetime.
5: And then at 18, I did a 40-day trip in the Arctic where we flew to Yellowknife. And then we had bush planes or float planes, actually, that took us to um, basically the confluence of the Coppermine River. And we paddled for a week on the Coppermine River. Yeah. And then we did uh, upstream sort of connection traverse um, to connect to the Hood River. And that connection took quite some time because we were portaging and paddling and encountered some difficulty. And then we were on the Hood River for a few weeks and then we did another overland portage to Bathurst Inlet. And we got to paddle on a small section of Bathurst Inlet on the Arctic Ocean. And then we were picked up at uh, the small community there.
2: Following both Corey and Maddie's stories, it's hard not to notice a theme. Once again, Maddie had a different way of getting to a similar destination. After two summers working for the Forest Service, she eventually hatched a plan to connect the familiarity of Boundary Waters and Quetico to the more remote regions further north.
4: And so we actually canoed the Bright Sand River and then we connected into Wabakimi Provincial Park and canoed the Allenwater River. And then we kind of did a bit of a shuffle on some really shallow lakes and the like, um, to connect up to Osnaburg Lake. Um, and then from Osnaburg, that's the, the start of the Albany river. And so we were just on the Albany from there on out until we hit Hudson's Bay. Yeah. It was just myself and my, my dad and my eight month old puppy. (laughs) Yeah. I think I had always wanted to do like a longer trip, you know, a 30, 45, day trip that um, sort of just lends itself to to either connecting the boundary waters with the Quetico or the Quetico to the like crown lands beyond it the goal of of doing a longer trip it kind of was appealing to try to follow a river kind of from its source to the sea so to speak (laughs) so uh the Albany River which is the river we ended up canoeing is kind of the most logical one for someone who grows up in Grand Marais and spends their time recreating in the Boundary Waters. Like you can, you know, you hear about fur traders using that route to get to Hudson's Bay. It's just sort of like the one that's that's most due north of us, and then winds its way over to James Bay or Hudson's Bay. And so it just sort of seemed like the logical connect from the country I grew up in into this like kind of new, fun ecosystem I didn't know as much about. you know, like any big trip or any real big experience in life, I think it was, you know, a lot of what I wasn't expecting to, that was some of the most um, eye-opening and, and just, I guess the stuff that really sticks with you moving forward. Like I hadn't done or didn't know kind of much about the native communities along the way. And so I think one of the formidable experiences for me was just Um, we stopped at two of these like small, really remote native communities along the way. And so just learning a little bit about more of the like OG Cree culture and just what life is like in these villages, you know, where there's no, you can only fly into them in the summer. There's a winter road in the winter and um, yeah, just kind of a culture place I'd never, never experienced before, which was really interesting. Yeah. So I didn't know how, how good of, of, of walleye fishing mostly this route was um and so we would occasionally really the only people we would see especially in the first like third of the trip were um you know really interesting folks that had flown themselves in from all over the United States mostly to catch you know a bunch of big walleye in the middle of kind of nowhere uh Ontario and I, I guess I did really get to experience the change in landscape which I really liked dropping off the Canadian Shield and all those just beautiful rapids and waterfalls and then the the river braiding out and you have some limestone and clay and um, just seeing kind of the, the pines go away and more of the black spruce and swamp kind of low like Hudson's Bay lowlands. So just experiencing that change in in environment was pretty cool.
5: Yeah, you know, I think that there is something for me anyway, that was really powerful about the trips, um, like being an all female trip as a young person and the counselors looking back now in my 30s, I'm like, wow, the counselors were so young for these long trips where there's like a fair bit of risk involved in decision making, you know, counselors who are 20, 21, 22, and they're going on 40 day trips in the Arctic. And, but for me, you know, really experiencing those trips in a really positive way was, was empowering. And I think it made me feel very capable and seeing, um, you know, not just cis men out in the wilderness, like having success and um, doing trips that could be seen as like intense by an outsider perspective was, was a, yeah, was a formative experience in like a very positive way for me that I think helped make me feel very capable in the wilderness
2: do you remember uh a while back on paddling profile remember we talked to sam cook
1: oh yeah absolutely
2: yeah great conversation about his life and his paddling well a whole we got into a whole conversation and uh, that never made it into the podcast because it was all about something sam loves and still does to this day which is go on a Canadian paddle trip. And he has a lot of thoughts on how the boundary waters and learning to trip in a place that's less remote, like the wilderness, can set you up for success.
6: I mean, our first river trip was the God's River. And that was, there were some interesting moments on it, rapids-wise. I was, Phyllis and I were paddling together, and like I say, we had not gone to the St. Louis River here and practiced before the trip, but we, the first shoot that we came to, Ken, our leader, had us all practice, you know, forward ferry, back ferry, get our strokes down and stuff, and we did okay, and we had no problems the rest of the trip. One of the canoes got about half filled with water in one set of rapids, but could paddle it out, no problem. Some of the fun rivers we did that were manageable rivers flow into the east side of Lake Winnipeg. The Pigeon, the Poplar, those rivers, those would be good, and the blood vein. The Bloodbane yeah. would be a great uh, training ground river. And we'd done the blood vein once or twice and the Pigeon and Poplar and start, I would say start there. A, it's nice if you have, if you screw up, it's nice to be swimming in warm water. Mm-hmm. rather than really cold water and you just your safety net is much smaller that far away in, in the wilderness and stuff so and there are good rivers here and and i should say before every most of the trips we did we'd go out to the saint louis and it's scanlon there and and paddle those different sets of rapids down to the reservoir and play in them and know you can kind of find the where the line is between how much your canoe can handle and you guys can handle and If you swim, you swim. You're not going to die.
5: Trip reports are immensely helpful. And so if there's a way to get connected to whether that is a group like Minogen or Widgie or online calling an outfitter to read trip reports. I mean, I think a little bit it's a question of how we like to receive information. But I think narrative descriptions and, and looking at maps and thinking through both the narrative component of like what kind of trip do you want to do matched with you know the logistics and cost and things access to trip reports is huge I've learned from my siblings for example just cold calling places outfitters for service if you're stuck like a great way to start and just do it that way maybe it's old school maybe it's millennial Um, but just being calls and digging around I think for me The other thing I think about are like, what are your dreams and hopes, right? Like, what are your goals? And matching that with some sort of work or research around like, what are the local folks saying, you know, like, is ecotourism welcome, especially if you're thinking about far north spaces and trying to also include a component of understanding the sort of like sociopolitical landscape <laughs> is really important. I think especially as folks coming from places that are further away and that that's the work that can be harder to do and is more, you know, opinion-based and there'll be different feelings and perspectives on that. For me, anyway, from where I'm sitting today feels like a really important piece as well. It's not just the the physical trip and the elements of, you know, trip planning and logistics, but the, also, okay, why do we want to do this? And how are we also going to engage in conversation and relationship with a history of what that's looked like for the people who are from there?
2: Like Corey and Maddie, Samus had his own unexpected lessons in the North Country. And like all lessons when you're far from home, you don't forget them.
6: Two trips. We got all packed up and ready to go, waiting for the fly out. And yeah, no plane comes. Oh, we no. unpack our packs and make camp again and stay another night. And the plane comes the next day. And it's all weather-related or mostly weather-related. <laughs> oh, what! we asked the pilots it was a twin otter on the uh, Mackenzie River uh, up in uh, Canada and we'd done the Mountain River and we're getting picked up on the Mackenzie and we said just out of curiosity what was the how come you didn't come yesterday oh we are rebuilding this left engine on the plane on this twin <laughs> otter here and we just didn't get it done in time or something but we're going okay <laughs> you got here I assume we'll get back and one of the the co-pilots says to the pilot as they're getting ready to take off he said cross your fingers (laughs) you know those are things that become stories that you hang on to for quite a while On for a month on the gods river that was three weeks on the water and then the coming and going and we spent some time in Churchill. most of our trips you know we had young kids at home and all most of us did and you didn't want to you knew you're putting your wife through more than you needed to probably and most of our trips were two weeks sometimes three i suppose but um it's just logistics of driving someplace flying in then redoing that on the other end. And, you know, like I said, you might not get picked up the day you, you think you're going to, and we, you have to tell the folks at home, this could happen. But I think, I think Phyllis was, and we had young kids all the time. I was doing these things and, but she felt comfortable with our crew's decision-making processes. She knew everybody on the, on the trip but i can remember hugging her when i was getting picked up uh to leave to go on one trip and all she said was come back yeah me too that sounds sincere <laughs> well we knew what the bottom line was you know we were really good at what we were doing we, there was I don't recall any trip where we had a quote unquote newbie or somebody along who didn't have much experience. And it's really nice paddling with people who, you know, and know their ability level and know that if something does happen to you and your partner, that they're going to be there to pluck you out or whatever, you know? Um, So that, that's really important to choosing and, and just, Practice, 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 and have experience. I don't look back at any of our river trips and think, and think, what were we doing on that river? We shouldn't have been there. A couple of my buddies did a river that I didn't do. That they still talk about that. And one of them said at the time, in one set after one set of rapids, we shouldn't be on this river. <laughs>
5: Growing up with the family I did, I think in large part because of exposure and being pretty able-bodied, like feel pretty comfortable in more wild spaces and therefore feel more comfortable taking on more risk. That's not an experience that everyone has, right? For different reasons. Um, being on trips with friends, it's been a both humbling thing and also I think important in terms of self-awareness to realize that that's not that relationship to kind of um, exploring and play and risk-taking is not something that everyone feels comfortable with or is able to do. But because I do have that history and privilege, I've, you know, there's funny stories about leading my friends up cliffs and then kind of getting stuck and having to find a way back down and kind of getting um, getting some beef for that in ways that are funny now, but, you know, make you realize, oh, this is not something that everyone has grown up doing or has the same relationship to.
4: Just because you don't aren't lucky enough to have parents that love the Boundary Waters and are able to give you those experiences early on doesn't mean that, you know, however you find those mentors or first have those like experiences in the Boundary Waters that can set you up onto a path to to do similarly big adventures in the future. Like, that's how this is how I got into, you know, amazing canoe trips and experiences, but I also appreciate that not everyone is kind of as lucky as I am. And, you know, I would love to like support people and getting out and doing these kinds of adventures, no matter like where they start or when they start doing these activities. Adventuring has definitely given me some of the highest of highs in my life and definitely sustains me and keeps me going. And so I think that getting a taste of that early on in life is something i'll i'll never not be super thankful for just because it's given me the yeah confidence and interest and just kind of expanding that beyond the boundary waters and into all sorts of wild places across you know the us and the world um although the, the boundary waters is always going to have like that amazing spot in my heart and i love coming back and going on trips whether that's summer or winter or whenever just because it's it's just something so serene and peaceful about the boundary waters that kind of really makes you contemplate, you know, just your place in the world and, um, what's important.
1: Hearing these types of stories gets me excited to continue our evolution and journey as paddlers and moving into Canada and farther north and now With the pandemic ended, we can get into Canada easier. I mean, that's still relatively fresh, a year or two now since we've been able to even get back into Canada and plan these kind of trips. So just hearing all these stories gets me excited to do more of that in the future. Exactly. And the beauty of it is is that
2: I don't know if it's true, but it sounds like it only gets better
1: the further you go. And from my perspective... I can't help but think about all the fishing opportunities that are waiting up there.
2: Grand Slam, baby! (laughs) (laughs)
3: Lake
1: Trout, Smallmouth, Northern Pike, Walleye, before noon.
3: (laughs) I just sing when I paddle. Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear rock. roar oh, roll me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light All around, campfire light, all round, all round, all round, the campfire light.